Hello, everyone, and welcome to Worship at Grace. Welcome, everyone, from Latham and Half Moon and Greenbush and Saratoga. We're so glad you're in worship. You know, this month of March is very special for Debbie and me. It's kind of hard to imagine that 24 years ago now, this month, God allowed us, with just a handful of people we'd gotten to know, really four couples initially, to do something that none of us had ever done before, to actually launch a church that we prayed would be a bit different, that God would be pleased to use to reach people for Christ, those who were far away and those who might be near to the kingdom. At that time, Dev and I were living just up the road from where Grace Latham is now. Some of you may know where Latham Village Apartments are. Well, that's where we lived for over six years as the church was, was being launched. So many memories from those days. We, we had a one-bedroom apartment, I'll never forget, and we paid $435 a month. What a bargain. It was awesome. We kind of affectionately referred to it as the gospel ghetto. And, uh, oh, that was a great place to live. So convenient to everything. And it was while we were there that we had both of our children, Allie and Chase. And as they were just little toddlers, they got, they got the one bedroom. And we put our bed out in the living area. And so that little apartment served as a play area for the kids. Uh, there was the kitchenette in there. My office was there initially, and uh, that's where we lived and moved and had our being. I'll never forget it. After the church started, we had a small group in our apartment, and it ballooned to 35 people showing up at that little apartment. We finally started calling it a BYOC small group. Bring your own chair. If you don't, you're probably going to be out of luck. You're going to have to sit on the floor or flop on the bed, and many people did. Just so many memories over these 24 years. But one that I'll never forget is that way before that small group started, in fact, before the church ever launched, it was a blustery February morning. I'll never, ever forget this. You see, I had been out. Deb had gotten a call on the answering machine. Do you guys remember what answering machines were? Those big boxy-looking things. had a little micro cassette in it. You could push the rewind button and rewind your message. <laughs> she got a message. Hey, give me that church chair. Give me church your chairs. And she thought someone was speaking in tongues on the answering machine. And so she played it again. Jimmy, not your chair, do not your, your chairs. And she couldn't understand a word of what this was. And so when I got home, I had to interpret Southern English for her. See? You see, what we had done, we had found this storefront. It was called the Spa Lady. It had been a former women's health club, and the owner allowed us to use that as we were getting started. It had mirrors all around the room that we met in. Oh, those mirrors were so cool, because when you only had 40, 50 people, it made it look huge. Like, wow, what a great attendance today. For over three years, I stood on an eight-inch aerobics platform. That's, that's where I preached from. And so... 
We had gone out on a limb and ordered 200 chairs from a place in Georgia we'd found called Church Chairs. Isn't that creative? <laughs> church Chairs. And they sold, guess what? They sold. They sold church chairs. It was cool. And so as I interpreted this message, I said, honey, that's easy. This is Jimmy, he says, from church chairs. And he's down at the church. We'd given him the address of the spa lady building, which we affectionately referred to as the first church of our spa lady in those days. <laughs> and he's down there with our chairs. And so excitedly, I drove down to the storefront. And boy, I believe that Jimmy, I mean, he had a thick Southern accent. He had driven up from Georgia in this big old truck with our chairs. I think he'd been drinking coffee continuously for 30 hours. That guy, he was bouncing off the walls. He was so excited that he had our chairs. And I'll never, ever forget. And here's the moment that's still so poignant in my memory. On that blustery February morning, as I helped carry those chairs into that storefront, the thought echoing through my mind, I couldn't get away from it, is, will we ever use 200 chairs? Oh, my goodness, are we crazy? What have we done here? That was 24 years ago. But you know what? Within a year's time, all 200 of those chairs were being regularly filled on Sunday morning with people worshiping the Lord. And we were already actively starting to plan for a second worship service to accommodate the overflow of people that God was bringing. God was saving people. He was mending marriages. He was putting broken families back together. He was transforming people from the inside out. God was doing so much. And it was all the stuff that only God can do. And our story for 24 years, friends, has been that when we dare to believe God when he's nudging us in a direction, God does immeasurably more if we're just willing to walk in obedience. There have been many gut check moments through these years, but I believe that God has brought us now to another one of those critical moments in our church life after these 24 years. After 24 years of walking by faith, I believe that we're at another one of those moments where God is saying, are you going to shrink back in fear and just begin to coast? Or are you going to continue to allow me to stretch you, to grow you and deepen your faith in me? Are you still willing to walk in obedience? And folks, the choice is really ours. I believe our church, all four congregations, has a great challenge ahead of us right now. Over the next three years, we are looking to deepen in our faith. We're asking God to save hundreds of people who right now don't know Jesus Christ. We're asking God to build us and make us stronger witnesses for him. And we're launching out in a plan of faith that we're calling 2020 Vision. For the next four weeks, I'm going to tell you about it as I unpack this exciting vision and challenge that God has put before us. One of the things we're going to do as God stretches us and grows us in our faith is we are looking to raise 
$10.3 million over a period of three years. Now, next weekend, I'm going to unpack the details of that. You don't want to miss that message. I'm not sure I can wait till next weekend, but I'm going to do my best and try because I'm so pumped about the exciting challenge that God has put before us in this 2020 vision. Today, I just want to give you the 30,000-foot overview of what it's all about. And next week, I'll explain the detail. But here are the bullet points. There are several aspects of this 2020 vision over the next three years. Number one, we're asking God to help us expand our Half Moon campus because of the growing number of children and young people there. The building has never been adequate. We knew it wouldn't be. And I'll explain next week all the things we've done to try to adjust and accommodate, but still God keeps growing the church and it's at a point where it's almost unbearable. God's changing so many lives. I'll tell you about that next week. Secondly, we're asking God to help us do some upgrades at Latham. Latham, as many of you know, is the original campus. It's the oldest. It's also currently the largest campus. And there are a number of things that we need to upgrade here that it's desperately time that we do that. And then third, we're asking God to help us start a healthy, flourishing congregation, a Grace Fellowship congregation in Schenectady County by the year 2020. Our purpose is to reach out to the 155,000 inhabitants of that great county according to the 2013 census. There's so many people there who don't know God or for whom uh, them, for them personally, faith is kind of a distant memory. It's grown very, very cold. And then a fourth aspect that's kind of laid over this whole thing is that for every dollar we spend on a project, we are going to give away one-tenth of that amount to humanitarian aid. Again, I'll explain it all next week in detail, but we're going to help the homeless, hurting, and hungry people both locally and globally. Now, can I tell you something, friends? As all of these goals are accomplished, it's going to require that we not just give God money, we're going to have to give God our whole selves. We're going to have to consecrate ourselves if he's going to use us into the future to help reach all of these hundreds of people that we're praying will come into the kingdom during this time. I have never, ever, and I mean this, been more excited. From the testimonies I've already heard, from the conversations I've already had, I know one thing, the people with whom I've talked are overjoyed that they're a part of a church that's willing to believe God, willing to trust God, and willing to dare great things for God and believe that he will do immeasurably more. In fact, can I tell you, already, already just some of our leaders, just a group of 265 people is all. That's all we have tallied up so far. I've asked 
our covenant members, our, our elders, our staff to make a, an initial commitment to this campaign. And already the money given or pledged from just 265 people, that's all. Already that number either pledged or given is $1,231,067 from just 265 people. That is astounding. And we're going to keep tallying those numbers as those covenant members and other leaders continue to make those pledges throughout this week. But we're just three weeks away, three weeks away from our pledge weekend when all of us are going to be invited and challenged, all who will, to make a pledge over the next three years. What an exciting journey this is going to be. Now, for our Bible lesson today, I want us to look at Joshua chapter 3, because there's a story here that, in my mind, really parallels so many of the things that we're doing. It's a story where God's people faced what seemed to be an impossible situation. The Israelites faced a challenge of entering the promised land, and they had a barrier in front of them. They had to cross over the Jordan River. Now, normally, that would be no big deal because the Jordan River, quite honestly, is not much wider than Post and Kill Creek at a number of places. But the problem was the river was swollen at flood stage. And so the water was deep, the current was swift, and it was very wide and hazardous. And so Joshua 3 records this miracle that God performed that enabled all of them to cross safely on dry ground. Would you look at it with me? Joshua 3, starting in verse 15. As soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now catch this part. This is very interesting. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. I think there are three lessons from this story that should motivate us as we prepare to meet the challenge ahead in this 2020 vision. Let me share them with you. I think the first lesson is this, that God worked upstream in anticipation of what was going to occur. These Israelites discovered that God's timing is perfect. He had dammed up the water 15 miles upstream so that at just the moment that these priests put their feet into the water, the flow of the water abruptly stopped. If you're new in this walk of faith, I want you to understand something today. God knows the end from the beginning. Did you know that? 
The God we serve is omniscient, and he sees the future, and he's able to plan events long in advance. For years now, one of my favorite Old Testament passages has been Isaiah 46. It reads, I am God, and there is no other. I'm God, and there's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. And you know, the Bible is filled with illustrations of God doing just that, of God working upstream. He told Abraham to offer his son, his only son Isaac, on Mount Moriah. And although he was shattered, Abraham faithfully obeyed and staggered up that mountain. But God was testing him. And God provided a ram in the thicket that, it, that served as a substitute sacrifice for Isaac. God was working upstream. God told a man named Ananias to go and talk to Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias protested, but God, don't you know this guy is wicked? He's been arresting Christians, beating them, putting them in prison, and he's come here to arrest and persecute us. But God was already working upstream in Saul's life, and he'd been softening his heart and getting him ready. Friends, whenever possible, a church needs to imitate God. We need to anticipate the future and prepare for it. I've actually been asked if these, this expansion of 8,000 square feet at Half Moon, these upgrades at Latham, and the starting of this flourishing new congregation in Schenectady County, I've been asked if this is going to meet all of our growth needs for the future. My answer, I sure hope not. I sure hope not. You see, we've been called to continue to make more and better disciples, to introduce people to Jesus and help them get better acquainted until he returns. That never stops until we can no longer do it, until he's back and here and we see him face to face. My hope, my prayer is a passionate one that God would allow us to expand at all of our campuses over the next 10 years. There would be so many people coming to know Christ and we'd be able to help them grow in their faith. Each piece of this 2020 vision is logical, is an obvious need, and the opportunities are compelling. But we're working upstream to provide for the needs of those, many of whom we don't even know yet. The last two months have been exciting for Debbie and me. We had 26 meetings in our home with the covenant members. We've invited the covenant members of grace from all the locations to come through our home, and, and several hundred of them have been able to make it, and it's been exciting as we've shared conversation and talked about this 2020 vision face-to-face. -face. But one of the things we did in our meeting, we started off by asking people to write down on a card one of the blessings, just one of the blessings that God has brought into their life through Grace Fellowship. 
And boy, it was exciting then to read those blessings. It didn't surprise us that the number one blessing mentioned was relationships, friendships. And that's no surprise because of all the emphasis we put on small groups and mentoring relationships and, and, and reaching out and making friends who know the Lord. People also mention the enormous number of opportunities they have to serve the Lord through grace. That was something that didn't surprise us at all. They, it didn't surprise us that many people said, I'm growing in my prayer life or I'm deepening in my understanding of the scriptures. And many mentioned the kids' celebration ministry and how their kids are getting ministered to. There were a number of others. But can I tell you something? There were two responses on there that really blew me away with their frequency. I just didn't expect that many people to mention this. So many people said, I found salvation at grace. I was saved here. And I've grown so much in my life of discipleship. Now, you know why that was so gratifying for me to hear that? Because that's our whole purpose. That's why we exist to make more and better disciples. And that was an indication to me that God has been working upstream. One couple wrote a note, when we moved to the Capital District, we were determined to find a great church. We heard about grace. We visited here the first Sunday. We liked it. But they said we had a plan to visit around before we made our final decision on a church. But as the next weekend approached, I said to my wife, which church do you want to visit this weekend? She said, well, I kind of, I kind of like to go back to Grace at least one more time. We did, and we've never left. We never tried any other churches. Grace is the place for us. God was working upstream. And in this 2020 vision, we're giving to meet the needs of hundreds of people who are still downstream. Who are they? They're your neighbors. They're your friends, your co-workers, your family. Fellow students in the classroom where you go to school. Some of them are lost. Some of them are having serious struggles. There's an old proverb that says, remember, he stands tall who plants a tree in whose shade he never intends to sit. The church is the only organization on the face of the earth that does not exist, that does not exist for the comfort of its own members. We exist to reach out to others so that they too can be saved. But there's a second fact I want you to see about this interesting story from Joshua 3. And that is that God worked upstream even though the need wasn't as dramatic as it had been previously. Now those of you who've read this story in these early chapters of Scripture know that 40 years earlier, God had done an even more spectacular miracle. You know what it was. The people were trapped against the Red Sea. The Egyptian army was bearing down on them. They had no place to go and they cried out to God and wow, did he deliver he opened up that Red Sea. There was a huge wall of water on both sides of them, and the people walked through on dry ground. What a miraculous intervention. And now 40 years later, it's like a similar miracle, but it's kind of on a smaller scale. It's not quite as dramatic. 
The Lord dammed up the Jordan River. We don't know how. Many people conjecture perhaps it was a landslide of some sort, but the water stopped flowing. Not nearly as dramatic. They're not trapped this time. The distance they need to travel isn't as great. The water isn't as deep. But it still took an intervention of God. Can I tell you something? Our God is not a showman who needs for every miracle to be more spectacular than the last one. Miracles are interventions of God where he affirms his identity and his blessing. He paves the way for future work to be done. But each work of God stands on its own. Think about Mark chapter 6. Mark 6 records a miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And then just two chapters later, Mark 8, there's a similar miracle. It's kind of weird. Jesus feeds 4,000 with seven loaves and a few small fish. Now think about it. It's not as spectacular. Not as many people. And he's got more loaves and fish to work with. But both were amazing miracles. And both of them, Jesus affirmed his identity and provided for the people. And while crossing the Jordan wasn't as dramatic as the previous miracle, it paved the way for them to enter the promised land. It paved the way for the, another great miracle that was going to come about a week later as they defeated Jericho as they obeyed God and marched around the city and, and uh, saw those walls absolutely collapse. Now here's the deal. As we follow God in obedience, I think tomorrow, I think the coming years are going to see an incredible revelation of God's grace and glory in our midst. I was having a conversation with one of our longtime leaders, and she and I were talking about what happened 16 years ago in what we called the Open Door Campaign. A few of you will remember that. You were at Grace at that time. And this campaign is not quite that spectacular because the open door was a total relocation project. We were packed in a little cracker box over in Sarone Commercial Drive, and we were moving to a facility that was four times larger. But you know what? The goal here is actually bigger, although there are potentially more people to contribute. But can I tell you something? We're not going to do this in our own strength. That's why I'm asking you, dear friends, to help me wrap the month of March in prayer. If you have ever prayed, I pray that you would pray now and wrap this month in prayer. In fact, I want to go ahead and invite you to a prayer meeting. We're going to have a concert of prayer at our Latham facility it's going to be on Friday evening, March the 24th. I can hardly wait. It's going to be what I call a concert of prayer. If you think prayer is dull, you better think again. That's going to be an exciting prayer meeting as we pray into every facet of this 2020 vision. Also, at that time, for a 24-hour period from 5 p.m. on the 24th to 5 p.m. on the 25th, we're going to have a prayer vigil at all four of our campuses. What that means is the buildings are going to be open continuously 
nonstop for 24 hours, and we're asking people to pray for every single minute of that period of time. What are we praying? We're praying that God would just lead us in what we should give over and above our regular giving. We're praying that God would soften and prepare the hearts as he continues to work upstream, just like he did for these Israelites, that he would get people ready for the preaching and the sharing of the gospel, that he would help us to trust him so much that we would see him do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Jesus said in Matthew 17, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And you know what I believe? I believe that as we see God allow us to reach these various goals in this 2020 vision, it's going to be electrifying for all of us. Well, there's one other truth today as we move toward our close that I want you to see from this interesting story. And that is that God worked upstream because the people were willing. Get this part now. Because this is going to be true of us. They were willing to walk by faith. I'm intrigued by the specific instructions God gave. The officers went throughout the camp explaining exactly what was going to take place. And we read in Joshua 3, verse 9, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. They listened and they obeyed. The priests carried the ark, just as God said. The people followed a thousand yards behind the priests, just as God had commanded them to do. The leaders entered the water, guess what? Just as God had said it should be done. Nothing was left to chance. And as they walked by faith, a miracle happened. The water stopped flowing as though someone had turned off a spigot upstairs. The priest stood in the middle of the riverbed on dry ground, holding the Ark of the Covenant as the people hurried across. Don't you know that was risky? I envisioned that the people, as they went across, nervously glanced upstream, wondering, is a huge tsunami of water about to come crushing us and cascading down on us? It was risky to walk by faith, but they did it. And God is going to work upstream if we have enough faith to obey his leading, even though you may feel it's risky. God has given us some commands too. For instance, God has commanded us not to rely on possessions in our life. Boy, this is, a, I think, a challenge for every, every American that I know. 1 Timothy chapter 6 reads like this. Command those who are rich in this present world, and by the way, that's all of us. Even if you're on welfare in the U.S., you live better than 90-something percent of the world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God says riches are uncertain. The stock market is unpredictable. We shouldn't put our trust in things, or we're always going to come up short. And we're definitely going to come up short when we face the end of life. 
Because riches are never going to be able to save you, folks. They may give you a false sense of security here, but they're never going to be able to save you from the judgment as we all stand before God. The only Savior is Jesus Christ. Secondly, God commands us to return to Him at least a tenth of what we earn. You know this scripture well, many of you. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe. The tithe, by the way, is 10%. That's what the word literally means. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough for it. The New Testament doesn't repeat that command, but Jesus never rescinded it or abolished it as in fact, he reaffirmed it as we read in Matthew 23, verse 23, and Luke eleven forty-two. But what we see in the New Testament are statements like this. Give as you've been prospered. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Now, most of us have prospered materially more than average. I've read that if you have a roof over your head, food in your refrigerator, an extra set of clothes to wear, and $20 in your pocket, you're wealthier than 80% of the people in the world. I think most of us have prospered quite a bit. We certainly have prospered spiritually more than our Old Testament forefathers. We have Christ as our once-for-all sacrifice. We have the New Testament. We have God's amazing grace. We have the Holy Spirit to abide in us and dwell with us. We have the church and the mutual support of believers. It's incredible. And if we gave as we've been blessed, if we really did, most of us would be giving far beyond 10%. I would give you a challenge. If, if you're not yet at a point of tithing, I would urge you during this three years to maybe let this be the first time, perhaps the first time in your life that you truly, truly tithe. Just try it for three years. I think you'll discover that it's such a joy to give that you'll never want to do less. And third, God has commanded us to respond to those in need. And one of the huge aspects of this 2020 vision is the humanitarian aid we're going to provide locally and globally. 1 John 3 reads, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? There are physical, emotional, spiritual needs all around us. The best thing we can do is share the gospel with people and the second best thing we can do is not only point them and help lead them to their healer, Jesus, but we can do whatever we can practically to alleviate their suffering. And I'll describe every aspect of that to you next week as we talk about the humanitarian aid. Now, I realize there are a lot of deserving and worthy causes to which you can give. In fact, if you're like me, sometimes you may feel compassion fatigue. There's so many great opportunities. But I personally believe the church ought to be first. That's the precedent, by the way. In the New Testament, the early Christians brought their wealth 
as needs arose, they placed it at the apostles' feet for distribution. But I think when you're considering this ministry or any ministry, you need to ask, are we fulfilling our mission statement? For instance, is Grace Fellowship really making more and better disciples? I think you'll find the answer to that is a resounding yes. In the year 2016 alone, by God's amazing grace, we were able to baptize 469 people in that calendar year alone who publicly professed faith in Jesus Christ, 469. People are growing in their walk of discipleship through our midweek classes, our mentoring relationships, our small groups. There are women's and men's Bible studies and youth group studies. It's incredible. Everywhere you turn, people are moving closer to a Christ-centered life. Are we helping hurting and homeless people? Again, the answer to that's a resounding yes. Hundreds of us serve every week through our 16 Grace in Action partners. We partner globally with missionaries around the world and give away hundreds of thousands of dollars to this cause. Our support groups are constantly ministering to people with addictions and adverse experiences. Our lead pastors, our trained lay leaders and small group leaders provide comfort to stressed out and troubled and grieving and sick people. God is using this church for his glory in an amazing way. And if you can't get excited about a ministry like this, I'm curious, what excites you? <laughs> what really excites you? This is a ministry where you can see God visibly at work. And some of you are capable of giving significant gifts, 100, 200,000, half a million dollars, and it not even affect your lifestyle. Can I tell you something? We really need you. And some of you live very meagerly on a fixed income. Can I tell you something? We really need for everyone to get involved in some kind of way in this effort to reach our goal of $10.3 million. It's going to require all of us making a sacrifice. You might say, well, Pastor Rex, I really love this church, brother. There's no doubt about that. But, but you know what? I'm, I, I'm not sure I'm going to be so stoked about this project. I hear you. I really hear you. But let me ask you a question. What would you give if you were 100% sold out to a project? If this church were to have a project that you were so passionate about, you were 100% behind it, what would you give? How much, how much then do you endorse this project? Is it 75%, 80%? Then give that percentage. You can go through your whole lifetime and never find a venture that you endorse 100%. You can rationalize if that ideal need ever arises, boy, I'm gonna dig deep. You can think that way and go to your grave and never have the joy of being involved with a significant gift. Dr. Carl Menninger once asked a wealthy patient, what on earth are you gonna do with all your money? The patient replied, just worry about it, I suppose. Dr. Menninger went on, well, do you get that much pleasure out of worrying about it? No, responded the patient. But I get such terror when I think of giving some of it away. 
And you know what? That's a real fear for a lot of people. When you let go of money, you're letting go of a part of you, it feels like. What it really is, it's that sense of security that you believe money brings you. That's all the more reason we need to give because it's a false sense of security. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's a legend about a beggar who saw a wealthy king approaching. He was all excited. And he asked the king to give him a gift. And the king with an interesting look, said, first, I'd like for you to give me a gift. And so the beggar kind of fumbled through his pocket. All he had was some grains of wheat in there that he was going to consume later. And he fumbled around and found the smallest little grain of wheat he could find and gave it to the king. And then the king fumbled through his pouch and found the tiniest little fleck of gold about the size of the grain of wheat And he gave it to the beggar. And the legend has it that the beggar spent the rest of his days lamenting the fact that he hadn't given the king all. God promises, for the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Joshua 3, 5 reads, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And friends, as I close, let me just say this. I think the same is true for us. As we consecrate ourselves to God, we'll be reminded that God wants not just resources. First of all, he wants our very hearts. He wants our devotion. He wants our all. Don't plan just to give money. Oh, my goodness. Plan to give God your whole heart. Give him your whole heart. And you know then that God is going to honor your efforts. Father, thank you for this exciting story from Joshua. And thank you, Lord, that you allowed this church 24 years ago to burst onto the scene in a rather obscure way, and yet you were working upstream even then to save hundreds and hundreds of people who testify that they found their salvation in Christ here. What a blessing. Thank you for your amazing, sovereign work in our lives. And thank you for the excitement of this 2020 vision that we get to unfold in these coming weeks. Lord, we are so happy to belong to you. Thank you for the ways you guide us and lead us. And thank you that you aren't finished with us yet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. These are such exciting times here in the life of our church. Looking forward to the rest of this series and the next three years of this campaign.